Today's scripture reading comes from uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 to 33. It's Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 to 33. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is a savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her, with, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. This is the word of the Lord. I just wanted to uh, first start off by thanking all of you uh, for making last week very special. I think... um, some of you were more excited than I was. Uh, they treated it like I was getting married or something. But I assure you, I, it, I don't know. I have, I'm not even going on a honeymoon or anything like that. But I just wanted to thank you uh, from the bottom of my heart. It was really special, especially those that showed up, but also those that have given me a kind word and wished me the best. Um, yeah, I promise I will do my best uh, and serve God with all that I have and this church as well. And I thank you also for your prayers. And right after I get ordained, it seems interesting that I have to preach on this topic, marriage. Um, if anything, this is a very deeply charged topic, especially in this day and age. And if you grew up in the Korean church like I have, I've heard so many different things being preached on this topic regarding this passage. Very charged. But what I would like to urge you now is to perhaps join me in this journey. We're going to explore this passage like we've been exploring all of Ephesians, but join you by keeping an open mind and open heart to see what the Word says. And if there's anything that's not of the word, then we must take it. Oh, this is tradition, this is is culture, this could be good or bad, but there are things specifically that God's word says, and it's something that we must take in. So there is no choice if it's God's word. Um, I was talking with a pastor, he's uh, a little bit older than I am, and his kids are all out of... The house. They're either in college or they're married. And he gave a sermon on this. And 
not many of us here have empty nests, but once your children leave, we call that an empty nest. And he was giving this sermon, uh, kind of sharing about how it was to be empty nested. Once your kids leave the house, then you have to focus on each other. And that's really rough. And he was sharing how rough it was, the struggle that he had with his wife, and how he needed to really come together, really find out about his wife, and his wife was finally finding out about him because there were no children to be a distraction. And afterwards, he gave this sermon saying, we must all struggle, we must all do our best, especially in keeping holy marriage. Uh, Someone came up to him after the sermon and said, thank you for the message, Pastor. Now I have been convicted to divorce my husband. And he was like, what? So there are so many people on this topic and I started out, I start out by saying this. There's some people on this topic who already have their preconceived notions. This is what I think marriage is. I live this much so I know this much. But I want to urge you one more time. When we look at this passage, let's look at it not from this is my experience. But let's look at it asking God humbly, God, what are you trying to teach us about marriage? What are you trying to teach us about ourselves? What are you trying to show us about Christ? So let's dive into this passage. And I think marriage is incredible because in verse 31, it actually repeats. Paul repeats the marriage from Genesis. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And he restates this for a reason. Because marriage is sacred. Why is marriage sacred? And a lot of people wonder what's going on with marriage today. We're trying to redefine all these things. We're trying to give rights to people. How are we as Christians who believe in the Bible, how are we supposed to take this and still believe marriage is sacred? Well, anything that God creates is sacred. That's why we believe racism is wrong. Racism is wrong because God created race. He created each of us in his own likeness, but we were all given in birth a race, a gender, and we believe it is sacred because God gave it to us. Now, why is marriage sacred? Isn't it sacred because God gave it to us? God is the one that instated marriage into humanity. God is the one that gave us marriage. That's why marriage is sacred. And now we see marriage falling apart, not just here, not just in the community, not just even in the nation, but all around the world. We're trying to redefine what has been defined for many millennia. And what is going on? Well, if you, if you like statistics like I do, I, I go to uh, you know, Gallup polls or I uh, go to the UN site and then there are a lot of statistics that they do. According to the UN, the U.S. is currently 15th in happiness. And how do they measure happiness? They measured it by GDP, social support, life expectancy, freedom to make choices, generosity, perceptions of corruption, how people feel what dystopia is, is this dystopia, or, and the confidence level. And gathering all this data, they were able to compile it. And among all the nations in the UN, they put the United States of America as 15th. 
15th. I believe the U.S. is the greatest country in the world. Uh, it's just because I was born here too, but I love the U.S. You know, I just want the best for this nation. And for us to continue to fall in this happiness uh, meter is really saddening to me. Uh, if you, for those that are interested, South Korea is 47th. And um, why is this significant? I think it's significant if you look at the change in happiness. So from 2000, from all the way in the past to 2012 to 2014, what were the changes? And the U.S. is actually 95th among all the nations with a negative score. We are dropping, this nation is dropping in the happiness scale, not just steadily, but drastically. Uh, people don't trust leadership. People think everybody's corrupt. Anybody that just stands on stage, people just... Um, as a nation, we are now questioning their character, their ability. And I thought it might be interesting to also say that last place is Italy, Egypt, and then finally Greece. And we know what's going on there. More and more leaders are finding the key to happiness has a lot to do with not just GDP, numbers, money, and all that, but it has a lot to do with family has a lot to do with what's going on in your marriage or what you are building up to eventually when you do get married. Sir Paul Coleridge, a British high court judge, over 40 years of experience, he realizes this and he makes this statement. He says, marriage and family breakdown is one of the most destructive scourges of our time. Every president that we've had has always talked about, please get your family act together. Whether it was Obama, whether it was Bush or Clinton, they were always focusing on family because we know more and more, as we see more statistics, as we see more polls, you, what happens inside the family affects everything. Everything. So when Paul starts talking about marriage, it's key that we understand this, that we understand what marriage, first of all, is, and how we are to act now that we know what it is. So hopefully we can get that from this passage. I asked um, some of my peers, single, married, with kids, without kids, what they think marriage is. And predominantly most people say this. Marriage is being with someone you love forever. Lol. I don't know. That's, that's uh, they asked, I asked this person via via internet and they wrote that but a lot of us predominantly we think marriage is being with someone you love forever in the bible and it's, it's kind of true but in the bible marriage is not the declaration of present love it's important it's important that you love this person it's key people are like how can i marry someone if i don't love them so it's key but marriage is a bound promise of future love. So marriage isn't the declaration of present love. Just because you love each other doesn't mean you get married and all that means everything will be okay. Marriage means that we now make a bound promise to love each other in the future. It is a deep covenant. In fact, if you look all throughout the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, it's all about covenant. The word covenant is used, and even in the Old Testament verse that was 
restated by Paul, it says, be united with his wife, the two will become one flesh. That word there in the Hebrew is covenant. It's a promise. It's a joining. And so it's not a promise to feel loving all the time. In fact, if you were supposed to promise to to just have a loving feeling all the time, you would never be able to get married. Ask me, I know. But it is a promise to be loving through thick and thin. That's the declaration. Even though it gets rough, even though it gets bad, even though I sometimes can't stand your breath, it's a promise to love you through thick and thin. It's a promise of future love. Now, this is a complete clash with our culture today. Because our culture says chemistry. We need to have chemistry. You know, oh, we just fit so well together. Every time I see you, I have this bubbly feeling. My, the little hairs on my arm, like, go up. I love you. I think we should get married. See, all the married people here are laughing because it's ridiculous. That, that will pass within a few days, if not less. I don't know. But... It's not about chemistry because this is what our culture is teaching us. It's always about chemistry. You just got to make sure that you feel good with each other. You got to make sure you're right with each other. But it's not. And that's why it's a complete clash with our culture. What the Bible teaches us, it is about covenant. What is covenant? Covenant is an unsexy word because covenant means duty. It means I need to serve and I will have I'm responsible to keep this promise to this person. Now, why is that hard? Well, marriage is inevitably hard, difficult, because passion or chemistry is about spontaneity. When you're dating someone, there's a lot of passion. Just whip out a flower. I'm a guy, so I'm speaking from a guy's perspective. When they're not expecting it, whip out a flower, you open the trunk, Five million balloons come out. Uh, you drive to a nice romantic place. You see the scenery. You recite a little poem. You get down on one knee. You sing a song. It's about spontaneity. And there's so much passion involved. But marriage is about duty. You can't have spontaneity all the time. And if you think you can, that's why your marriage is failing. No, I'm just kidding. Um, that's why it will be difficult because that's not what marriage is about. But if marriage is about duty, then it is inevitable that marriage will stifle passion and chemistry. Do you get what I'm saying? Because all our young people, and because we have so many young people, I'm speaking to them. All our young people are looking forward to when they get married is chemistry. It's this spontaneity that keeps up. Oh, I wish my husband would do this. Now, the young couples, I wish he would do this more or I wish she would do this less or whatever it is. It's about keeping that passion alive and we do all these things to try. But marriage, if it is about duty, then it will stifle passion. It will stifle chemistry. Wow, that's kind of depressing. So what then? What is the truth about marriage? Well, W.H. Alden, very famous poet, he said this about marriage. He said, any marriage, happy or unhappy, is infinitely more interesting than any romance, however passionate. That is an incredible, incredible statement. Any marriage, happy or unhappy, 
is infinitely more interesting than any romance, however passionate. And as you let us sink in, let me give you the whole quote that he said. Like everything which is not the involuntary result of fleeting emotion, but the creation of time and will, any marriage, happy or unhappy, is infinitely more interesting than any romance, however passionate. Now, when we get to marriage, it is something that we can never experience outside of marriage, something that we can never experience outside of this covenant bond that God has given us. We get to experience in marriage. Outside the world, it's always about passion. It's always about chemistry. I hate this job because it doesn't excite me anymore. I don't like this thing because it doesn't do this for me anymore. But marriage shows us that we must now create time. We must create will to agape, to love this other person. And anybody who has been married will tell you it does take a lot of work. You don't even need to ask. You can just see. It takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of compromise. It takes a lot of will and creation of your own time to make it work. Marriage is infinitely, infinitely more interesting than any romance, however passionate. I know people around my age now in their upper 30s, some in their 40s, If we continue on following culture and saying it's all about chemistry, you will be married for 5, 10, 15 years, and you will realize that this person is not the one for you because you thought it was all about chemistry. And you will have an affair. You will seek to be filled in other places. And what you see is a breakdown of your family. And I have people that have come up to me and said very honestly, they said, a psychologist that we're seeing told me that we shouldn't stay together for our kids. And my heart broke. Because we, our younger people, are a generation of broken families. And you see them and you teach them. If you're a youth group teacher, you know their life wasn't easier because their parents divorced it was, I would say, so much harder, so much more difficult, something that I don't know if they'll ever get over. Marriage is incredibly important. It's more than just chemistry. It's more than just passion. Paul goes on to start talking and giving um, admonishments and instructions, and he first gives it to the wives. Now, once again, I want to say that this topic is incredibly charged in our culture, but let's just see what Paul says. Paul says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Now people have taken this verse and said, oh, our young people especially, because they don't know anything. Uh, Our young people have said, oh, you're a girl, you need to submit to me. That is absolutely, absolutely, absolutely incorrect. 
have not read the Bible. I don't know what Bible version they're reading, but it is not an actual good version. It says, wives, first of all, wives. So if you are not someone's wife, should you submit? It doesn't say. It doesn't say you should submit to a man because you're a woman. And all this culture play has really disturbed the reading of God's word. It says wives. So if you are not someone's wife, it is not an instruction for you to actually oppress them. So women submit? No. No. And I have been reading this verse over and over again in the Greek in different languages, parsing the actual Greek, because this is such an interesting passage, such an interesting passage. But if you look at the word submit in the Greek, it is used in a middle voice. Middle voice. There's a passive and active voice in the English language, and the middle voice has been lost over the centuries. Very few languages actually have a middle voice, like a Scandinavian language, but the Romance languages and all those are English languages. We don't have a middle voice. What is the middle voice? It's a voice that indicates the subject is the actor and acts upon him or herself reflexively or for her own benefit. I'll break it down for you. The middle voice means I do this because it benefits me. So if I submit, I submit because it benefits me. I submit to Jesus Christ. Everybody here, we all submit to Jesus Christ because it is for our own good. It is for our own good. So he says, wives, middle voice, submit to your husbands. Now what does it not mean? It does not mean servile oppression. It doesn't mean, look, the Bible says you should submit to me. Husbands are not to say that because then the wives can equally say, let's go to verse 25, husband. And on verse 25, it says, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The Bible says, you should die for me. And then you guys are at an impasse. Submit to me. You die for me. Submit to me. Die for me. That's not how it works. In fact, it is for our own benefit. Paul is writing this. So as the wives are submitting to the husbands, now we see a huge line about the husbands. See, all these guys are always focusing on like three lines in Ephesians when the husband part is three times bigger. Maybe we should focus on this. And to the husbands, he says, the aim of a godly husband, just to bring it down, is to love his wife and keep her best interests. That means if you truly love somebody, just as Christ loved us, it's not about me. It's about them. So you give yourself up for them. Christ gave himself up for us to the point of death. This is a call to husbands today. You need to give yourself up for your wife to the point of death. Stop badgering her to submit. That makes absolutely no sense. Because we are supposed to love as Christ loved us. So there are three aspects that he talks about, and I'll just go over briefly. He says in verse 26, he first died to make his people holy. And then he died to cleanse us from sin. And then he died to present us to himself radiant. 
Now, in all put together, what this means is that we must love husbands, must love our wives. If you're not a husband yet, that means you need to build yourself up to be someone of that caliber, someone capable of loving outside of himself. You need to put the need of your wife above your own. That's what loving is because you eventually are called to die for her. Now, when we put the need of our wife above the husband's, we put the wife subject to her husband, and we put it all together, it seems like there's a picture that is a little bit different from culture. Because our culture, if you look at all the dating websites, not that I've been there, but if you look at all the dating websites, we see this is their standard. People that want to get married. They say, I want someone that won't change me. I want someone that will accept me for who I am. I want someone that will just let me be me. What they are actually saying is, I don't want to change. Now, when I was high school, I had this, um, I had this yearbook from high school, and then we passed it around. And all these people would write in my high school yearbook. And out of goodwill or good intent, they would write this. Oh, Eugene, you're such a nice person. Please don't ever change. And, you know, sign whoever. Please don't ever change. And I keep on thinking about it. Please don't ever change. I know it's good intent. If you never changed from high school, you'd be a sad, sad person. Sad, sad person. And some of us here are struggling. But I got to urge you, change from high school. It's not good that you're still your high school self. We are called to change. We are called to grow and mature and to change. We are not called to have other people come and be our supplement, meaning, oh, you can just be like a little add-on, an addition to me, and then when I don't need you, I'll just take you off because I don't really want to change. We don't want someone to marry because there are vitamins. We want someone that will come and completely change us and help us for the better. Now, that's biblical call to marriage. Tim Keller has this great, great uh, illustration that I couldn't help but to use. But he has a great book out called The Meaning of Marriage. I'd recommend it to single people as well as married people. The Meaning of Marriage. And in this illustration, he is saying that marriage is like a gem tumbler. And you put two gems inside. And it tumbles, right? And they hit each other. And what it does, it knocks off the rough edges of all the gems, of both gems. And as they hit each other and knocks off the rough edges of both gems, once you, stop, once you stop the tumbler, you take it out, these gems are magnificent. They are beautiful. They are radiant. Radiant. That's what Paul says. Just as Christ loved us, we are supposed to make each other radiant. That's what marriage does. That's an incredible thing. So it's not about just supplement me. It's not about just don't ever change me. I love me the way I am. So I just need you to just sometimes do this for me, whatever it is. That's not what marriage is. Marriage is when you guys collide and then you start knocking off the rough edges off each other. And that can only happen in marriage, the covenant of marriage. Terry Crews is a very famous... uh, actor slash comedian slash bodybuilder. Um, He's actually a Christian. He decided with his wife 
to fast 90 days of intercourse, not having sex. He fasted 90 days. And the reason why he did it was he realized every time they were supposed to have a date or try to be spontaneous, he would only do it for the end, which was to eventually get her to bed, right? So he'd get her, like, a nice dinner, get her nice flowers on their date night. We decided not to do that. Instead, what he did was he said, you know what, I'm st- we're still going to have the date nights. We're still going to do this. What I'm going to do is I'm really going to listen. We're going to engage in conversation. And instead of the night being the highlight, the actual date, the dinner, the conversation, that will be the highlight. That's really rough, right? And then it's like, wow, for 90 days. And what happened was he, in his interview, he said, I began to know my wife about things that I never knew before. I loved her in ways that I could never have loved her before just because of this 90-day fast. And now that it's over, even our just romance is just at another level. And we see more and more people going back to the scriptural version of what marriage is. It's not just about satisfying myself. Because if we think that I need to find this person to supplement me, this person makes me feel good, This person just makes the hair on my skin rise. What does that really mean? Now I'm getting to who we are, single, married, whoever you are. What does that mean when we're just looking for that? It means we just need people to stroke our egos. I'm just fascinated that someone like her could like me, and I feel really good. And my ego is up in the air. It's all about me. And when that starts to fail, guess what I will do? I'm going to look somewhere else so that I can get my ego stroked again. That's not what marriage is. And eventually, you will be even more broken. Look at our society. Look at our families who just wanted their own ego stroked. We will break down. And Paul is admonishing his readers to go back to the original source of what marriage is. You guys will not just supplement each other. This is great. You supplement each other. Great. Vitamin is great. But you will complement each other. Man, woman, two different genders. When we come together, we see that there's something beautiful God has made united where we could have never noticed before because that person is completely different from me biologically, emotionally, and spiritually. And then we see that we can be united. He says that this is a profound mystery. But then he doesn't stop there. He says, this is a profound mystery because I'm not just talking about marriage. I'm talking about Christ and the church. Christ loved his bride so much, he gave up his life for the bride. Now, husbands, wives, this is an incredibly tall order that I can guarantee you will not and cannot fulfill. You will not be able to love your wife until death. You will not be able to submit to your husband when your pride is going to get stomped on. It's, it's just too hard. It's impossible, I should say. So how do we do it? How do we do it? You see, last week, Pastor Esther talked about the fullness of the Holy Spirit. 
And then now all of a sudden in the same chapter we're jumping to marriage. What is going on here? Why, why isn't there any transition? Why isn't there a little break here? There is no break because it's still the same topic. Marriage and being filled with the Holy Spirit is the same thing. If you want marriage to work, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You want church to work, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You want your life to work, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And what does the Holy Spirit do to you? It helps you change. Now you are looking, if you're single and you're looking for someone to marry, what is the ultimate thing you should look for? And I've heard so many things because I am older. People give me so much advice. But if we look through the Bible, if you look at the Bible, what is that one thing? It is the ability to change. You want to be a good husband? Gather the ability to change. You want to be a good wife? Get the ability to change. You cannot change on your own. It is impossible to change on your own. It is only possible by being filled with the Holy Spirit. That is why it's all connected. It's not a different topic, being filled with the Holy Spirit and then marriage. It's the same topic. Because the Holy Spirit allows for us to change. So bottom line is, if you want to look for someone, look for someone that is filled with the Holy Spirit. But this profound mystery points to Christ and his church. You see, the only way to see it, live it, love it, is to know Christ and to have the Holy Spirit. Once you have the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit does is it opens things that would have never been opened to us otherwise. Otherwise, marriage is just a ceremony. It's just words. When I say the love of Christ how deep, how long, how high, how wide it is, it's just words. But when the Holy Spirit comes upon us and it fills us, the love of Christ being high, love of Christ being long, wide, and deep, it becomes real and it becomes alive to us. When the Holy Spirit comes upon us and empowers our marriages, the marriages and the families become strengthened. And there is no institution that can break the holy institution God instates. This is the profound mystery that Christ gives to us and his church. He's like, you are my body. You, one, with Christ? That's crazy. That's craziness. That's amazing. And how much he loves us should start coming alive start being real to us and then it affects our decisions and reflexively middle voice right we see we want to submit to Christ we want to give him all the glory because he has poured out so much love to us see marriage in the end points to Christ when God instead he was saying I am going to show you how much Christ will love you. And that is why Christ deserves all the glory in our families, in our single lives, trying to become married eventually, hopefully, right? Whether we have kids or not, whether we're empty nested or not, our marriage, our union should point to Christ. And for that, let's ask right now, for the Holy Spirit to fill us once again. Why don't we take this time to pray?
And let's ask the Holy Spirit to unite us, to make us one, to make our church one under Christ our Lord. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to be poured out into our families. And if you're single, pray for your parents. If you're married, pray for your spouse. And pray that God will pour out his Holy Spirit so that you will be united. And in your union, we will glorify Christ. And we will make his name known. Let's just take a few moments to pray.